Ron Ananian. I want to talk a little bit about obligation. I want to talk about obligation of the repair shop. And I want to talk about obligation of you, the consumer, the vehicle owner, the person that's driving that car, that's making that decision on when and how it should be repaired. Car Doctor. If you're 20 years old and you're driving a car, I get it why you don't have a mechanic. If you're 25, I'm questioning it. If you're 30, you're allowing something to exist in your life that prevents you from finding a good mechanic. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, welcome, Ron and Andy, the car doctor. Come on in, sit down. Let's talk this hour about your automobile, whatever you've got going on, fender to fender and door to door. The phone number is 855-560-9900, the car doctor hotline 24-7. Keep in mind, as I've said before, and we'll continue to say that that phone number is there for you 24-7 in the sense that if we're not on the air, we're live Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time. But there's a messaging service attached to that, and if you leave a message fast, Harry will call you back and put you in queue and get you in the lineup for next week's show. We can talk to you up here on air and, you know, get some answers to your questions and educate you, educate the audience, and uh, educate myself because I learn something each and every week talking to all of you as uh, we continue this trip down the road about learning about automobiles and what they entail. More information about this radio show, it's all about information, right, is cardoctorshow.com with links to various podcasting sources. Tune in, iHeart, iTunes.com, Google Play, is there as well, and uh, if you want to get your own Car Doctor t-shirt, there's a link there for that, too. You can get out to eBay and pick yourself up one there as well. I think sometimes auto repair is a very underappreciated industry. And I think sometimes that comes about because maybe you don't realize what goes on behind the scenes, and, and, and I think that's one of the reasons I, I still continue to do this show 25-plus years later, in that I still have this belief system that, you know, I'm going to talk about it enough, and more people are going to get it than those that don't. This customer gets it. Gene's a Gene's a regular customer. He's a he's a he's a he's a good human being, and he understands what it takes to repair automobiles. And you know, he, we see all his cars, we do all his regular maintenance, and it was just kind of an interesting repair. He has a 2005 Honda Civic, and the poor thing, I feel sorry for it. It's had trees fall on it. It's had cars hit the bumper. It was this really cute metallic gray Civic that um, over time has gotten battered and beat up by society, sort of like the mechanic that works on it. And this week was no exception. Check engine light was on, and it had a P0340 cam sensor fault and a P0344 cam sensor circuit. Welcome to the repair of the week. I actually had to get out the lab scope. You know, we talk about this, and we, we kind of kid about it. How much lab scope work do you really need to do today? Well, the cars have gotten better, and lab scopes aren't that common where they once were. We, we don't do nearly as much lab scope stuff as we used to. But every once in a while, you need it now. And having said that, I'll probably use it each and every day this week and then twice on Sunday. But it just seems like it comes in, it comes in spurts. So in order to diagnose this cam sensor fault, we had to go down and look at, and I had to verify that the sensor itself was working. A couple of common things, did the timing belt jump a tooth, or the keyways in the cam or crank sprockets hammered, 
causing them to have slop to allow the the signal. And it's, it's all about this particular code is all about the relationship between the cam and the crank that the sensors are producing correct signal. Think about the bicycle sprockets, right? Everything's going around in the correct time. The little sprockets following the big sprocket, and they've got a good relationship back and forth. And in order to verify that, I have to look at the cam sensor and verify the signal coming out of it. It's a nice hall effect. It's a square wave signal. And sure enough, the green wire red trace had this cockeyed, hieroglyphic-looking, definitely not a square wave cockamamie signal. Needed a cam sensor. Okay, easy enough to diagnose at that point. Now I had to change it. The genius that designed this never thought it was going to break. Because, well, maybe they thought Gene was going to buy this Honda Civic without power steering, without anti-lock brakes, and it was going to be a lot simpler to get to. Of course, to get the upper timing cover off, you still have to lift the valve cover up. And that's a bit of a pain in the neck. But the power steering pump has to come out. The power steering reservoir has to be moved. The ABS control module you really can't move because you have to take the upper timing cover off and pull the cam sensor out of the driver's side of the cylinder head just below the cam sprocket. Pretty easy to do. It's a big enough It's a big enough sensor. The trick is getting the little 6-millimeter bolt out of the cylinder head without dropping it down inside the timing cover. It's sort of like doing open-heart surgery over the top of an active volcano. Either way, you end up with a problem if you're not real careful how you do it and how fast you get in and out. So I, you know, due diligence. I turned down the radio. I gave the office no talky, no touchy. I don't want to see anybody for the next half hour. And once I got down to the point of the bolt, it was I stuffed the rag underneath the area where if the bolt should slip, because you can't. It's not like I'm uncoordinated. It's it's You can't take your hand and go straight in there with a the wrench and take it out and zip it. No. You have to stand there. Now I'm right-handed, so I had to stand there with my left hand and sort of feel to the side, and I've got the scratches on my thumb to, 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 to prove it, and unthread the bolt, get it down to the point of where it was. I had a magnet underneath just in case it dropped, and it didn't. I was able to get it out with dexterity and just, you know, pop the bolt out, and then pull the sensor out, and I said, great. Then I realized once I got the new sensor into the dowel pins mounted up in its location, now I've got to find the hole and put the bolt back in. Now, you're doing this blind. You can't really see what you're doing. Took a long 18-inch, quarter-inch extension, put a little dum-dum on the end of the quarter-inch swivel 10-millimeter, put the bolt in, but you couldn't quite make the clearance because the genius engineer couldn't move the ABS control module over about three-eighths of an inch. It just missed it by that much. It was one of those. Went back to standing up next to it backwards, took my left hand, felt down around, and it's here. And if I go down, and I took the mirror, and I looked in the mirror. I felt like the dentist. I was thinking of my dentist when he cleans my teeth, right? I'm always amazed at how they can go backwards. They're trained to, if if they see it in the mirror as left, they go right. If they see it as up, they go down, and so on, right? So I'm standing there, and I just, and and, and it goes. The danger is, if the bolt slipped, if the alignment, and you're not spot on, and something fell out, it goes down inside the engine. And now you've got to take the lower timing cover off, maybe take the timing belt off. Now they just made a difficult job that much harder. Would it really take that much? And I've got the solution. 
Would it really have taken, you know, I'm sure Honda could afford to spend two and a half cents per engine and put a stud in place of that bolt. And if they put a stud with a shank so that all you had to do is undo the nut, the nut would rest on the shank, take a magnet, go up to the nut, pop it off, take the new nut after you change the sensor, put the nut back on the stud, slide it up to the threads, give it a spin, and it'll go in place. But what do I know? I'm no engineer. I'm just an auto mechanic that tries to make a living fixing cars. But the point of this repair of the week is it's not necessarily the degree of difficulty of the repair in terms of the diagnosis. Sometimes it's the actual repair itself because there's a lot of consideration that goes into, hey, we successfully fixed your car, diagnosed it front to back, start to finish to, well, we diagnosed your car, but we ran into a problem. And now you're going to have to spend some more money. And that's what you never want to have to say to a customer because it's your responsibility to fix it right based on your diagnosis. I wonder what would have happened at another repair shop. Something to think about. Hello and welcome. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor here at the helm at 855-560-9900. I explained all this to Gene, by the way, and he, he really made my week because he said, you know, he says, I can vision what you're going through. He said, that's why I'm there. And he said, thank you for not making the mistake and taking the time to be as cautious as you were because... Even if we had to take it apart, it's just the extra pain, and you try not to take things apart more than you have to because that only increases the chance of another problem occurring either then or somewhere else down the line. So uh, always good to work for a customer like Gene. I enjoyed it a lot. I am Ron and Annie in the Car Doctor. If you're new to this radio show, I thank you for stopping by. We are here to talk about car problems and whatever you've got going on, fender to fender and door to door. This is an interview-free hour. Should you wish to send me an email during the week and you want to talk about your problem uh, via email, but i got to warn you, I might turn you over to Fast Harry and have him hook you up and put you in the lineup for next week's show. You can do so, Ron, at cardoctorshow.com. The phone banks are lit. Let's pull over and take a pause. And when we return, we're going to kick the garage doors open. Stay tuned. We're back. Round, round, get around. I get around. Yeah, get around. Round, round, I get around. Get around, round, round, I get around. Get around, round, round, I get around. Get around, round, round, I get around. back. Why don't they need the car doctor? Let's go over and talk to Tim, Flint, Michigan, 96 G20 van. Tim, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Hello, Ron. Yes, Big sir. fan. Yes, sir. What can I do for uh, you? What I've picked up is a 96 conversion van, and the reason I'm messing with it is this thing is absolutely mint condition. Okay. Carpet, everything, body. And the only thing that doesn't work is the air, and I want it to work. Okay. I've always messed with air, a little, you know, shade tree mechanic, side mechanic. Um, I understand a lot, but little, and now I'm, I'm stumped because when I first bought the van, <clears throat> turn the air on, the compressor is on and off, on and off, on and off to where right, way too much, threw some fan in it and kicked on the timing of the on and off when it, when it went way away and I got cold air in the vents. Temp temperature wise about 60 to 65. And it lasted about 24 hours, and I'm kind of back where I started. Okay. So I went out. So I want to take this further. I made it very interested in, in, in it, and I 
bought some gauges and everything I need. I haven't touched it yet. I want to talk to you first. I'm learning through uh, reading and looking on the internet. I should evac the system before I do anything. Okay. Uh, especially on an older van that who knows how long it hasn't worked. Right. Is there any insight you can give me on that? Yeah. What? Keep in mind, 96 was the first year OBD2 um, in terms of engine controls, and they started to incorporate, and the computer has been involved in the air conditioning system probably a good 10 years prior to this. But in 96, you could actually plug a scan tool in, and, and probably before 96, I shouldn't say it like that, but 96 just kind of sticks out in my mind, 95, 96. You could plug a scan tool in and look to see AC request and AC clutch command status on a scan tool. So oh. you can, you know, with, with, with a year-make model scanner, and by that I mean for everyone out there that's scratching his head going, what's he talking about? You know, there, there's two languages inside of a, of a car today. There's OBD2 which is sort of like the antivirus program for the vehicle. It keeps the car in emission compliance. And then there's the manufacturer-specific. So in this case, it's a Chevrolet. It's a GM product, and it's a scan tool that can speak GM direct, if you will, and you can go in and look to see. when you. So in other words, you've got a little button on the dash for AC. You should, even though right, it's a conversion yeah. van, right? When you, when, yes. you, when you push that button on, it should light up. Does it light up? Okay, so when when that lights up, that's sending a, a request command to the PCM to ground the relay for the compressor control. So oh. y- you should actually be able to see on a scan tool when you push that button, yes, the clutch command, it, the AC request shows on, and the clutch command status, meaning the PCM closes the relay circuit, powers the relay, and it turns the compressor on. You should be able to see that. Okay. All right. You get that, then go to the cycling switch. There's going to be a light green wire there. Okay. When, if all this is happening like it's supposed to, there should be 12 volts there with the switch plugged in. And you should have... Are you talking at the the compressor? uh, No, no. At the cycling switch on the accumulator on the dryer. Okay. There's a two wires, a light green and a dark green. With that switch plugged in, you'll have 12 volts. And then coming out the other side, you should have 12 volts in the dark green going to the high-pressure switch. Okay. All right? And then just start following it around. This is a pretty simple system. You know, the only caveat is it's a conversion van, but, you know, as long as they left the basic, as long as they left the basic air conditioning system alone, you should be able to follow a factory wiring diagram. Okay. All right? But this can be anything from a blown fuse to a bad relay to a PCM request. Oh, okay. All right. So this is a case where you need a wiring diagram. Do you have a wiring diagram source for this, Tim? I don't, don't, but I can get one. Okay. You know, and if you run into a problem, send me an email, and I'll I'll, I'll try and dig one up and email it to you. You know, this is is a case where you really need an email, uh, a wiring diagram in order to, you know, follow the roadmap to see what it's looking for. All right. Uh, What sort of scan tool do you have? I don't have one, but I have access to one. I work at a dealer, dealership, and a guy there is helping me with one. Okay. It's a Tech 2. Yeah, that'll do it. Yep. Okay. That'll do it, and that's kind of what you want. Um, okay. That's kind of what you want. This is a pretty simple system. Uh, it's and it's it's great that you're looking at the gauges. Listen, I'll give you I'll I'll give you one. I had a um, I had a 2010 Ford Escape to show you the difference in the technology. Right. I had a 2010 Ford Escape yesterday at the shop. That the high fan would come on anytime you turned on the air conditioning, but the AC wouldn't run. 
All right, it blew in the third step high speed fan. Went through diagnosis, which turned out, you know, I, I, I went in with a scan tool. I could see AC request. I could see AC command. Everything made sense. I should have had AC, but I didn't. I looked at the high side pressure switch. Now, in this car, they look at the high side pressure switch. They're looking at various commands. It said high side pressure was 355 pounds. Wow. But I looked at mechanical pressure with a set of gauges. I had 225. So the minute I turned the, the minute I turned the AC on or made the request for AC, it saw a high side pressure switch stuck high. It turned the high speed fan on, thinking that there was a problem, and it turned the AC compressor off. As a safety device. As a safety device, right? Because it okay. it it thinks the car is going into overheat or high stress, or you know the AC system has a problem because it's it's thinking that. The condenser isn't operating properly, and high, high side pressure that close to the radiator in time is going to cause an engine overheat issue, and manufacturers don't like to pay for engines. It kind of ruins their marketing. So, you know, um, look at the technology there. Now, that's 2010. I haven't looked at a 2017 yet. I can only imagine what they do and what's required, but the amount of inputs goes up each and every year in terms of what you have to look at, what you have to test, and what you have to consider for something as simple as the AC is not cold anymore. The, okay. you know, so mechanical gauges are needed, scan tools are needed, wiring diagrams are needed, digital voltmeters are needed, and uh, time, time and research. Okay. All right. I think Einstein said it right. I think the paraphrase becomes Einstein's quote. He says, "Never be afraid to tell somebody you have to do research." Trust me, I never am. And uh, <laughs> okay. you know, he says, and it, it, he's right. You know, nobody knows everything. And he also went on to say something along the lines of, "Trust me, nobody knows everything. Not even me and I'm Einstein." Um, and I, I think that's the way the conversation was. So I'm not afraid to tell somebody, you know what, i got to do a little research. I've got to do some reading. Um, get yourself a wiring diagram and uh, follow it through. Pay attention to how the AC compressor relay is controlled. They're controlling the ground side based on AC request from that button that you push, which is why looking at it on a scan tool becomes so important. Okay, great. All right, sir? All right, I thank you. You're very welcome. You need me, you know where to find me, Tim. Okay. All right. You take good care. Yeah, it, it, it becomes a case that <sighs> nothing simple anymore. I mean, so many times at the shop, and Harry's there with me at the shop now, we talk about it, and uh, he sees it. And he's old school back when we worked in the gas station as kids uh, a million years ago, that the amount of technology, it, it just it goes up each and every day, and it's just the circle gets wider and wider of uh, electronics. I'm Ron Anany and the Car Doctor. I'll be back right after this. Doctor, doing all the talking here. Welcome back, 855-560-9900. Let's get over and talk to Lake from Shreveport, Louisiana. Lake, welcome to the car, Doctor. How can I help? Hi, Ron. Yes, sir. Um, I don't know much about uh, cars, but it seems to me the manufacturers have gone crazy with these big wheels and low-profile tires. Agreed. And I would like to, I have a 2014 Camry with 17-inch wheels. And I want to go down to 16-inch wheels with uh, wider-profile tires, but I can't quite figure out what 
if a if another wheel will fit, I'd like to get uh, uh, Toyota wheels uh, rather than aftermarket, but I can't tell if they'll fit or not. Right. Chances are they will. The manufacturers would, but you know, listen. Let me let me tell you the story this way, and maybe this will maybe this is the right way to answer the question. Did I ever tell you about the hot rod I restored? Uh, I don't remember. Okay, so I you know I I did a frame off restoration on a fifty five Chevy. No no stone unturned. No no expense spared. You know nuts bolts right down to a bare frame. Carried it in and out of the shop. Had it had the frame media blasted. Painted the whole nine yards. It's perfect. All right. I don't, I don't want to drive it. It's so perfect. Okay. We had to figure out. We had to figure out which what wheels would fit it. All right. And mm-hmm. after and after measurement and consultation and looking and figuring it out, I called my friend John, who has six different size wheels in his basement. He brought them over to the mm-hmm. shop on a Sunday, and we sat there and we trial fitted everything until we figured out dimensions. And mm-hmm. my point is, sometimes it's as simple as that. Sometimes you just got to trial fit just to see. Now, you know, the only other way is if Toyota as a manufacturer has that optional 16-inch tire listed for your year vehicle. Mm-hmm. Well, they don't. and that's that, I mean, for the model that I have, it, they don't, and I can't find any alloy version uh, for 16-inch wheels. Well, but so you have 17s and you have an XLE, correct? Uh, an SE. An SE. So... Uh-huh. You know, if you go to an XLE, does that offer a different size rim? I, apparently, for uh, 2014 and newer, it doesn't. So I'm I'm talking about going to an earlier year uh, wheel. Okay, so let me ask the question this way. Um, you know, and I believe with Toyota SE, XLE, and the base model, the difference is in the trim and maybe some of the suspension, but the basic brake components are the same. Mm-hmm. All right. So I, mm-hmm. I, I don't believe Toyota makes it where an SC is going to have a different brake caliper set up versus an XLE. Maybe the yeah. rotor's maybe the rotor's a little bigger, but I haven't even run into that. Generally, Toyota builds good brakes, and they stick with the same model across the board. They're, they're smart uh-huh. like that. They don't have that proliferation yeah. of parts like GM. Uh, what was it, one-year GM? You could have 38 different models of mirrors for a Buick Regal or some ridiculous thing, <laughs> and you wonder why GM uh-huh. went broke. Um, so that being said, I would just grab, you know, if you can find, if you can find that 16 inch trim you want for a 2012, mm-hmm. bolt yeah. it up to it. Does it fit? Yeah. You know, the thing to keep in mind is, do they make a steel wheel version for your car? No. Okay. That's interesting. They do they make it for Yeah. A, they do, only make, only, they only make a 16 inch steel wheel for your car. Uh, for, for a Camry. Yeah. And well, what do you have on it now? You have a 16-inch steel wheel. No, you have a 17. 17. I have 17. Okay. So and and maybe maybe it's not worth worth it, but I just think it would might make a more comfortable ride. I think it would too. Because what you're going to do is you're going to put you're going to put a smaller wheel, mm-hmm. but a bigger tire overall. So, right. Overall, so you have more of a sidewall. Right. And, you know, what What we've sort of forgotten is the sidewall is also part mm-hmm. of the suspension in terms of, you know, load and and, and shock to the system. Yeah. And, and, you yeah. know, that's it's it really amazes me. I mean, at the rate we're going, we're going to be riding on tires that have a half-inch side high sidewall uh, in a couple right. of years, and everybody's going to be going to the chiropractor with back and neck problems. <laughs> well, my wife, my wife has a Beetle and has 18-inch wheels on. Right. 
and know, it's just crazy. And 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 where do you try and price out some of these rims? Mm-hmm. You know, my right. my daughter recently purchased a Toyota, and she took out wheel insurance. And basically, and I've seen this before, but now it's they're selling wheel insurance, rim and wheel and tire insurance. That if anything mm-hmm. happens to that rim and tire under a certain mileage, they replace it. I think the insurance is like five hundred bucks, but mm-hmm. one one wheel is four hundred dollars. Right. And the right. way the potholes are built, it seems lately that uh, you know the smallest pothole can <laughs> gobble up a rim. Listen, I'm all for what you're doing. I think you're I think okay. you're onto something. I really do. Okay. I think I think it's just going to be a matter of trial and error, unless you can go yeah. backwards. What I would look at is, I would. I would start to look up, you know, do this. Let's try it like this. Get out to O'ReillyAuto.com. Get out to their uh-huh. website. Plug in a 2014 Toyota Camry, your model SE. Look up uh-huh. look up brake caliper and brake rotor. Write the part number down. Mm-hmm. Then go to mm-hmm. a 2013 or a 2012 and write the part number down. If they're the mm-hmm. same, then you know it's not going to be a brake fit issue, or it's not likely that All it'll right. be a brake fit issue. All right. And then what I would do is get out to General Tire, go out to uh, GeneralTire.com and start to look at the different size tires that mm-hmm. they have with you know a 17-inch versus a 16-inch, and you can start to play with profile. And I, if I'm not mistaken, at GeneralTire.com, they'll have tire diameters, so they'll tell you that you know this model Ultimax RT43 yeah. Yeah. is this size and so on, and you can play with sidewall and profile. All right, yeah. okay. and and make okay. your adjustments that way. But believe me, you're you're on to something there, Lake. I wouldn't shy away from this. Okay, can right, I ask sir? you one other quick question? Sure, real quick. Two for a nickel I, today. I think I I think I heard you say at one time that you put different uh, octane gas in your car from time to time. Yes, that's correct. Right. Yes, I'll I'll run. You know, depending upon what I'm running, uh, you know, mm-hmm. like the shop truck. The little ranger, the poor thing, takes abuse and it just keeps on ticking. Now it's just a matter of pride. I keep thinking I'm going to. I think I'm going to have to put some money into it so it doesn't look like I'm driving a wreck. I had, you know, somebody yeah. somebody come up to me the other day and say, "You poor man, you can't afford anything better than this old truck." And I went, "Well, you know, I, I had just been cleaning something. I got out of it. I, I looked. I kind of looked. Well, like for lack of a better way to say it, I, I sort of looked homeless in this beat up old truck. Uh-huh. And somebody felt sorry for me. They almost gave me a nickel. Um, but you know, I'll I'll I'm I'm I'll put regular in it on a regular basis now, and maybe every third, fourth tank full, I'll put uh, you know high test in it, just because of the mm-hmm. detergent additives and and um you know what they'll do in terms of cleanliness. Uh, you know, it's going to be interesting in the next year. I keep reading the reports that you know EPA is supposed to be legislating uh, detergent additives out of high test gasoline. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure you've seen the same, it sounds like. And, uh, you know, it makes me think well, I, that fuel yeah. system cleaners well, are going to take a, a, a very big uh, presence in automotive maintenance. Yeah. Well, you, you turned me on to that Bear, uh, Berryman product that I just started using. Yeah. Um, and I think that's so. got, I think they've got a – I think, you know what, if they're, if they're a company that has stock in the marketplace, I'd probably take a look at Berryman because I think they've got no place <laughs> to go but up. Um, but anyway, Lake, I enjoyed the conversation. Okay. Listen, uh, thank you, you very much, Ron. You're very welcome. You take good care down there, Louisiana way. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. I'm Ron and Annie, the car doctor. I'll be back right after this.
get around, I get around, yeah, get around, round, round, I get around, I get around. Welcome back. Ron and the Car Doctor, 855-560-9900. Thanks for being with us today. Let's get over and talk to David in Iowa, 2012 Chevy Suburban. David, welcome to the Car Doctor, sir. How can I help? Hi, Ron. Yes, sir. Uh, good to talk to you. Uh, the reason I'm calling is uh, I bought a 2012 Chevy uh, Suburban LTZ a little over a month ago. Uh, used vehicle, 95,000 miles. Um, we had it for about a week. Took it on vacation to Colorado. Uh, we were at a stoplight. Check engine light came on. I pulled off into a parking lot, shut the, shut the vehicle off, uh, let it reset, started it back up. The uh, check engine light stayed on, but we were able to drive on to Estes Park where we were traveling to. Okay. Well, over the next two weeks, uh, I took it to a mechanic in uh, Estes Park who felt like it was a, a fuel pump issue as my fuel pressure was just above the minimum allowed pressure when he checked it. But he was unable to, to fix it, said we should be safe to drive it home. We live about 500 miles from Estes Park. We drove it back home. Uh, I took it to a local mechanic. They could not reproduce the problem. So... About three days later, I took it back because the check engine light came on. We also had it went into reduced engine mode and shut off the bill of track and traction control. Right. Well, I took it in the mechanic. They, it was throwing a accelerator pedal position sensor, and they felt like that, that was the problem. So they changed out the sensor. They drove it about 12 miles, said they thought it was fixed. Everything was good. I drove it back home about 10 miles from where the mechanic shop was at, let it set for about two hours, got back in it, turned the key to start it, went back into uh, engine-reduced power mode, check engine light was back on. Same thing, very intermittent, very sporadic. What so what, I, what fault codes are this, uh, David, not to interrupt you? What what fault code is this, do you know? Uh, you know what, I, I don't have it in front of me. 2135 maybe? I think it was 2135. Okay. And so um, I called the dealer. I took it back to the dealer where we bought it from. They swore to God that it was the power control module. So we left it there. They changed the power control module. I said, I want you to keep this for a week because it's, it's very sporadic. They kept it for a week, and I uh, got a call from them actually a few days ago. Said it was fixed. They'd driven it over 100 miles. They hadn't had the rep- the problem reproduced. I went to get it. They turned the key to bring it out to me. It went back into reduced engine power mode. It, the same things it was doing. So now it's in the GM dealership now where there's a, I assume, a master GM tech looking at it, and I'm at a loss of where to go. Okay. <laughs> so here, let's, let's, let, me, let me tell you what I don't think it is. But okay. I just want to bring it, put it on the table. They came out with a recent bulletin internal service memo, however you want to call it, back in March of this year that talked about low power, reduced power um, issues, sort of what you're describing. I don't think this is your problem. I just don't want to overlook it. And sure. it's um, it's it's a technical bulletin or 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 internal memo. PIT fifty two oh six D is in David. That's easy for you to remember, right? Sure, yeah. Um, so, you know, you may want to read that. It talks about the brake pedal position sensor assembly and some of the issues okay. and some of the things that can cause. I don't think that's what's going on here, but I just want to mention it. That being said, sure. all right, 2135 is an issue with this is drive by wire. 
There's a throttle body assembly out on the engine. There's a pedal sure. assembly inside the car. All right? When you step on the gas pedal or the accelerator pedal to be, you know, uh, terminally correct or terminal or term correct, if you go sure. halfway down and it's producing a zero to five volt signal and now it's two and a half volts because you're in mid-stride, mid it's looking at two sensors on that pedal assembly to say, hey, did he actually go halfway? Yes, he did. Um, there's two sensors on that assembly. There's two sensors on the throttle body out at the okay. engine. So they correlate. So it's it's looking to see, um, and I'm sorry, there's, there's, there's one on this end, one on that end. It, it, they're okay. looking to see, is everybody happy? If this guy goes... Goes down two and a half volts. Does this guy go up two and a half volts? Is there a correlation? When twenty one thirty five sets, it says somebody's lying. All right, it says somebody. One guy says two and a half volts at half throttle, and the other guy went one volt. Somebody's lying. Somebody's not telling the truth. Twenty one thirty five, and they've got all sorts of fault codes that'll tell them APP throttle body PCM etc. There's 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 more than a half a dozen ways to look at this because obviously. Um, problems with acceleration is sort of an issue, so there's a lot of yeah. safety redundancy built into this. That being yeah. said, all right, the simplest way to diagnose this, what I found, is hook up a scan tool, bring up the accelerator pedal position sensors, the throttle position sensors in the throttle body, okay. and, and gently tap the throttle body in the area of the sensors. Okay? Gotcha. You're looking for a disagree, agree signal to change on the scan tool when you're not driving the car. If you see okay. that, it's a throttle body. If you're going to play law of percentages, what the heck? They've changed the PCM. They've changed the APP down at your foot. Put a throttle body in the car. 80% of the time, that's the issue. The only thing okay. left is the wiring harness, which is you're into pins and connectors, and I have used a contact enhancer on the connector terminals, especially out at the throttle body, the heat and the vibration of the engine tends to beat them up. I'm sure the GM tech will fix it. I'm sure he's seen this before. David, if you need me, give me a shout. You know where to find me. And even Ron at cardoctorshow.com works during the week. 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's coming back right after this. Nothing can catch her, nothing can touch my 1-800-800-9900. Welcome back. We're on the name of the car doctor. Let's go over and talk to Larry in Eureka, California. Larry, welcome to the car doctor, sir. What's going on? Oh, hi, Ron. Yes, I've sir. got a uh, 2002 Mazda 626, 2.5 liter. It's got 92,800 miles on it. Um, Mazda recommends a timing belt change at 106,000, but I'm thinking after 14 years, I might start thinking about changing it. Yeah, you, you were you, you were due after seven. You know, Honda, as in, in their infinite wisdom, is a pretty smart car company in in, in some cases, and uh -huh. um, they actually register timing belts based on time, and I believe it's 82 months. Uh, you know, time is definitely a factor. Listen. If, if tires are outdated after 8 to 10 years, then what's that say about the rubber of a timing belt, right? <laughs> right. So by, by all means, okay. you're, you're not due. You're overdue. 
Okay. Uh, you know, we had a we had a customer at the shop recently. Unfortunately, her timing belt wasn't there by mileage, but in terms of time, 2007 Toyota Highlander, um, after what is it, nine years old, snapped on Route 80 at 65 miles an hour oh. and did it in. So, believe me, you don't want to have to deal with that mess. You're better off doing the timing belt, water okay. pump, the tensioners, the rollers. You know, and uh, deal with all of it. As a matter of fact, get out to OAP, get out to O'ReillyAutoParts.com, O'ReillyAuto.com, and uh, you'll be able to see what's going on there. I'm Ron Anini, the car doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See you.